0: You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning. Welcome to Grace. If it's your first time, double welcome to you. Just a few things I want to mention, follow up on from what uh, Kyler was saying earlier Baptism in two weeks. Uh, If you hope to be, or if you would like to be baptized, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior and have not yet professed Him publicly through baptism, then I would encourage you strongly to do so. Please email me in the next couple of days. uh, Allison and I will be in the mountains for a few days, so uh, looking at the ugly leaves, I'm sure it's past peak up there, but we have. Nine grandchildren up there, so come on, give us a break. But um, email me, and I'd love to be in communication with you about being baptized. Also, next Sunday morning, once again, let me just mention, one service outside, bring your own chair, uh, 10 o'clock. That's going to be a wonderful time when the whole body can be together. And then Grace Connection in two weeks, October 21 to 22, likely our last of the year. If you're interested in membership or you just want to learn more about what we believe, what opportunities there are to serve, how our leadership is structured, sign up for that online. So October 21 to 22. And before I begin the message, <clears throat> we just I know many of you already are. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the shalom of Jerusalem. Difficult. Difficult days. A lot of believers pray for, the, pray for the body of Christ. There are Arabs and Jewish believers both in the Middle East. So, um, a really difficult time there. Last year, Russia, Ukraine. This year, the Middle East. Lots of implications um, in our thinking about Eschatology. And that's one of the things that I want to jump into the sermon. If you were new to Grace Community Church, then it would be helpful to know that we are spending a year or so, maybe a little longer, on the subject or the doctrine of eschatology, which is the doctrine of last things. How is it going to end? There's a lot that leads up to the very end when Jesus returns uh, but we're taking time to read in Daniel, especially. We've already looked at Habakkuk, which wasn't so much talking about Christ's return, but talking about judgment, the ways of God, as He deals with nations, uh, as and then as He deals with His people, with regard to sin and righteousness. And in Daniel, we see. The nation of Israel has been removed from their homeland, taken captivity to Babylon. And that's where we find Daniel, for at least half of the book, is in Babylon and then in uh, the courts of other rulers who take over after the Babylonian empire falls. So, eventually we're going to get to Revelation, but along the way we're going to probably stop to look at Jesus' teaching at the Olivet Discourse. Uh, talk talking about the the judgment where the lion I mean the lambs and the and the goats are separated, uh, the destruction of the temple. What does it all mean? Will Jesus return? A lot of people are going to be thinking about it with the events in the Middle East uh, since 1948 when Israel became a nation. A lot of attention is given to that part of the world, and people are open to think about the gospel. Maybe not as much as they were 50 years ago. Uh, The last time, Israel was caught unawares and attacked by nations surrounding them. Um, But people want to know, whenever you think about the Middle East, you think, hey, what's up with the Jesus thing? So be open to sharing about Christ. So far, in the book of Daniel, we have begun to think about the kingdoms of man. And then the already not yet kingdom of God. But most of the prophecy about the future is in chapter 7 through 12. This morning we're in chapter 4 where we're going to read about Daniel's warning to King Nebuchadnezzar to repent of his pride lest God judge him. Uh, The king was restrained for a year. But he failed to sustain his posture of humility and endured as much as seven years of humiliation instead. I'm sure that many of you know the story in Daniel 4. If you don't, I apologize. I'm going to assume that you do just for this first little bit. couple of questions we need to answer, address up front. It, again, it's not going to mean much to you if you don't know the story of Daniel 4 where uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and, and Daniel said, oh boy, this dream does not look, look good for you. You need to repent of being so proud. But he didn't, and then there were consequences before he came to his senses. But hopefully, even if you don't know the story, it'll mean more to you by the time we finish with this chapter. The first question is this, who was this Nebuchadnezzar? Is it the same Nebuchadnezzar we've been reading about in chapters 1 through 3? Or could it have been Nabonidus, who ended up being the last king of Babylon, but he made his, his son, Belshazzar, who we're going to see about next week in chapter 5, his co-region. Could have been Nabonidus, uh, the Babylon Chronicles, a, a, a secular historical account of Babylon, uh, st- states that he was the last king of Babylon, who installed his son as co-regent. The fact that Nabonidus was unheard from for about seven years, or at least there's not a lot that's known about him, for seven to ten years, and he was rumored to be insane during that time, makes him a good candidate for the king of Daniel 4. Just went by the name Nebuchadnezzar, like the Caesars, you know, we're all Caesars. Nebuchadnezzar sort of became a title as much as it did a name. Uh, But a lot of conservative scholars are confident that King Neb of Daniel 1 through 3 is the same one in Daniel chapter 4. There's a lot more to this discussion, a lot more research done on this on both sides, uh, and it's just not worth going into, and it's not going to be worth going into in home group this week, so no more discussion about that. To make it simple for this sermon, I'm just going to assume, and I really do lean this way, that Daniel... Four is detailing the, the times of the same man that we've already been reading about in chapters 1 through 3. The second question is whether King Nebuchadnezzar came to true faith in Yahweh or not. I mean, he repented of his pride. He acknowledged the, the, Yahweh as the most high God, as sovereign and worthy of praise, he seems to have retained his polytheistic beliefs and only saw Daniel's God as the most powerful of all gods. I don't know. I think we're going to come to different conclusions as we read through the chapter. I hope I'm wrong and we see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven, but I don't know. But now remember, when, when you say something like that, we, we, we're at a distance of like 2,500 years from this man. It would be like, I don't know, did Hitler come to faith? I kind of hope so. You know, Did you you think of another, maybe not quite Hitler, but but still, uh, another uh, very tyrannical ruler. And you say, oh, I hope he came to faith. Well, I do. Most of us do. But if we had been at the time, I think a lot of us would have said, I hope God judges him and he gets what he deserves. Uh, Jesus is going to teach us. To, to, to move away from that kind of spirit of revenge. Hollywood and writers and everybody just trying to get us back to that spirit just as much as they can. Don't you just love it when Liam Neeson just makes them suffer before they die? Don't you love that? I mean, I, I do because they're really bad people, right? But our hearts ought to be for all men to know Jesus. So there are several lessons to look for as we read our our text with a few comments along the way. So look for these themes as we engage this narrative. First, God is sovereign over all rulers and nations throughout all history. We get that. We know it. But it's hard to live as though we know it. I mean, in a democracy, we think it's all up to us, right? And truly, there is some, there's great benefit to us living as, in that way, that we work to keep our nation free and secure and, and, and prosperous so that the gospel might go forth. Uh, if you live in a, under a totalitarian rule or authoritarian ruler, then it's hard to believe that God is sovereign because how could God let this happen? Always remember... He is God, we are not. And that's not said in the spirit of trying to put us in our place. It, 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 it's meant to lead us to trust in a God who knows far more than we could ever imagine. And His picture encompasses all eternity and the entire universe. And well, it's Everything. And so, when God moves in ways that don't make sense to us, He is wise and we can trust Him. And if we suffer as a result of Him doing the right thing and the good thing for eternity, well, one day we're going to be so blessed to have been a part of that. If He is our God, we can rest in His promise to be with us always, no matter what happens politically, socially, or personally. So, that's the first. The second truth that we are look for as we go through this chapter is that God is patient and merciful, extending grace even to unbelievers. It's God is good to His people, and I often say it's a relatively new thought to me, to put it just this way, so you have to hear it for two or three years and then I'll move on to something else, but when God receives glory, it's always good for His people. But God is patient and merciful to all, not just believers. Nations, rulers, individuals are often given multiple chances to repent from their pride and wrongdoing. Romans 2, 4 tells us that the goodness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. We often fail to repent because of the third truth that we're going to find in our text, which is we are sinful and prone to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Believers and unbelievers alike are, are guilty of this sin. Fortunately for believers... God will not allow us to go too far before reminding us of our limitations. I don't suppose, Tim, you ever got to hear my dad say, boy, I'm going to take the starch out of your britches. (laughs) And you know, the Lord has to do that for us sometimes, and he does so graciously. For believers, he doesn't let us go too far before he reminds us of how blessed we are to be related to him and that all glory goes to him because when God is glorified, it's good for his people. Fourth, God graciously gives the gift of repentance and is responsive to those who turn to him. My goodness, what gifts confession and repentance are. We no longer need hide or justify or explain we can repent and walk in the assurance of God's forgiveness and his love no matter the sin. God forgives those who confess and repent. Acts 11:18 teaches that God is the one who gives the gift of repentance. Thank you, Lord. Last A God who redeems sinful men and women at a cost to Himself is worth praising. Now, God doesn't need us to glorify Him. He's going to get His glory regardless of what we do or don't do. I think we would agree with that. But God was determined not to allow His name to continue to be sullied among the nations because of the sins of His people. And so he judged the nation of Israel, but it was at a cost to himself. He loved these people dearly. And he wanted the entire earth to be blessed through his people. But he had sinned, they had sinned, and he judged them at a cost to himself. That's nothing compared to the cost, though, for forgiveness of sins. For God to be able to forgive sins, he sent his son Jesus, the fourth man in the fire from last week. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Praise the Father for sending the son to be a sacrifice for our sins. There's a whole lot to read in Daniel 4, but it's worth taking the time. I'm really wanting to read through these as we go. And, and this will help your understanding. Repetition in the ancient world was used for emphasis. I mean, today, if we've got a document in front of us, we can highlight it. Or if we're typing, we can put some words in bold or italicize. We have ways of coloring so that, that, that you know you can, fi- you can find ways to emphasize. Well, the way to emphasize or to, to place an emphasis somewhere in ancient times was just to repeat it. We saw that last week a lot in, in Daniel chapter 3. We'll see some of that again. We'll begin our time by reading the first three verses of our text. If you would please stand for the reading of God's word. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. King Nebuchadnezzar to all the peoples, Nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. Nebuchadnezzar is saying this to everybody, and he's got a pretty good platform. He's the king of the most powerful nation to that time on the earth, in that part of the world anyway. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs! How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. And I'm about to say the word of God for the people of God, and you will say, thanks be to God. It's the way we respond to the Lord. This is the blessing of his word, and we're responding with gratitude to him. Thank you, Lord. For these words from Nebuchadnezzar, pagan king who may have been converted, maybe not. But Grace Community Church, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Be seated. Have you ever thought of Nebuchadnezzar as one of the authors of Scripture? Well, it's not entirely, entirely an accurate thought. I mean, Daniel is the author of this prophecy, and he chose to include Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. And Nebuchadnezzar begins by acknowledging that Yahweh is the most high God. He gives praise to this worthy God before launching into his story. So let's hear a little bit of it beginning in verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. I read this past week that you know you're a preacher if you have a bad dream and you're preaching and you wake up and you actually are preaching. So that's maybe... I don't do many of those, but, you know... (laughs) I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of, of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon would be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers, we we know these guys, came in and I told them the dream. But they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, Because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw in the interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth. Its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to the heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth the empire. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in in it was food for all. The beast of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in the branches, and all the flesh, all flesh was fed from it. This sort of, you know, in some way it feels like America, where there's this responsibility that we sense for the entire world for feeding the world for taking care when 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 disaster has happened we're we're right there. this is what Nebuchadnezzar was saying I, I, I this tree fills the earth. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold a watcher, an angel, a holy one, came down from heaven. he proclaimed aloud and said. "'Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. "'Strip all its leaves and scatter its fruit. "'Let the beast flee from under it "'and the birds from its branches. "'But leave the stump of the roots in the earth "'bound with a band of iron and bronze "'amid the tender grass of the field. "'Let him be wet with dew of heaven. "'Let his portion be with the beast "'and the grass of the earth.'" Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers or the angels, giving the word of God. The decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will And sets over it. The lowliest of men. This dream I Nebuchadnezzar saw. And you. O Belteshazzar. Tell me the interpretation. Because all the wise men. Of my kingdom are not able to make known to me. The interpretation. But you are able. Because the spirit of the holy gods. Is in you. So we've been here before. All the. Enchanters, the 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 sorcerers, the magicians that are brought in, interpret this dream for me. Nebuchadnezzar says, and they were unable to do it. None of the pr- practitioners of the black arts could tell Nebuchadnezzar what the dream meant, unless, of course, they had a pretty good sense of what the dream meant, and they didn't want to tell Nebuchadnezzar. How would you like to go and tell a a a Uh, a leader of the empire who is given to fits of fury and and, and rage. How would you like to tell him, you're coming down, king, I'm sorry. This is not good news for you. That's a possibility. So will Daniel cave to the pressure? Let's find out in verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, again, named after a... the god of Nebuchadnezzar, was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him, the king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream of the interpretation alarm you. I need to know. Tell me, Daniel. You've done this before. Let me, let me hear it. Belteshazzar Daniel answered and said, my lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies, <laughs> Now just imagine this, Daniel saying something like that to Nebuchadnezzar who has decimated Jerusalem, killed many Israelites or Judeans and dragged others off into slavery and he's saying, oh may this be done to your enemies, not to you, oh wise one." Notice that Daniel, and, and by the way, we'll talk about that in home groups this week. You know, how do you, how do you process all that? One of the things we'll be doing, in case you're not going to a home group this week, is to pray. What I'd, love for, what I'd love for you to do in home groups is to think about the two or three politicians that you dislike the most, and that's putting it mildly, right? To say dislike. Pray for them. Just pray for them. Imagine having this kind of conversation. With them. It wouldn't be easy. But Daniel said, It's it's not it's not good news, but there is a way out. Um, we're gonna find Daniel to be much more direct next Sunday when, when he deals with Belshazzar. But in this instance, he gently tells the king what the dream means. But he also advises him to avoid God's punishment by repenting from his pride. Verse 20, the tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven. and It was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was found all under which, been, which was food for all. Under which beast of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heaven, just like the Tower of Babel. And your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of the roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heavens, and let his portion be with the beast of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. Is it it is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord. The king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of the heavens, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know the Most High rules the kingdom of men, the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed to you from the time that you know that heaven rules. When you figure this out, you'll be okay. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. And there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity." This was rather bold of Daniel, don't you think? And he called the most powerful man on earth to break off his sins and to cease injustice by showing mercy to the oppressed. So what happened? Verse 28, all this came upon Nebuchadnezzar at the end of twelve months. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Now, aren't you grateful that you've never been tempted to say, Hey, let me tell you what I've accomplished. I I just, I just got the picture. You know, of Nebuchadnezzar sitting on his sofa with his feet up on the ottoman, and somebody walks in and he jangles his keys and says, Hey, you see my sweet ride out there? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just think about all kinds of ways that we we pull a Nebuchadnezzar. Don't say that to anybody this week, right? Yes. Of course you will. Oh, you're not pulling a Nebuchadnezzar here, are you? Verse 31. Now, what, by the way, the next time you're tempted to think like that, just maybe read this text, okay? Verse 31. <clears throat> While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of field, beast of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven Till his hair grew as long as eagles' eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. In case you're wondering, Nebuchadnezzar had a psychological disorder known as boanthropy, where one thinks of him or herself as a bovine, or as a cow. Zoanthropy, you might be more familiar. Someone who thinks of himself as an as an animal, I doubt seriously that many of the people who are identifying as cats and dogs in our day are aff- afflicted with zoanthropy, but some people truly are afflicted with this psychological disorder. Uh, verse 34, uh, and by the way, how long was this for Nebuchadnezzar? Seven periods of time. Could, could have been seven years uh, or it could have been less. It was surely more than seven days, but it, it, we don't know. Seven periods of time. Numbers are not as precise in Daniel as you, as we sometimes want to make them to be. So that will be important as we get to some of the numbers in the latter half of the book to be thinking about. So could have been seven um, weeks. Could have been seven years. Could have been somewhere in between. Verse. Thirty-four. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. So, which came first? The restoration or Nebuchadnezzar's repentance, restoration of his reason or his repentance and praise for God. He lifted his eyes toward heaven, but he could not have praised God unless his reason had been restored. Verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. This is Nebuchadnezzar. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And he sounds like Jeremiah saying, does the clay say to the potter, why have you made me thus? Nebuchadnezzar has gone all profit on us. At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me. And I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble, spoken from experience. So I I suppose there's hope for Nebuchadnezzar, uh, after all, that he was truly Converted to the worship of the one true God and to Him only. What can we learn from Daniel 4? A a lot, in fact. But we're going to limit our thoughts to three lessons that are repeated in the New Testament because there is continuity to Scripture all the way through. God is given the same message. The first is this. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, James 4 :6, it's taken likely from Proverbs 3:34. It would be difficult to find a greater contrast between humility and pride than we find in the two human beings that we known as Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, Daniel maintained a posture of humility all along, while Nebuchadnezzar learned the hard way that pride goes before a fall. He could have humbled himself and acknowledged that his power and authority had been given to him by God, but he took all the credit for himself. Therefore, God humiliated him to ultimately bring him to a place of humility. It's never a bad thing to be in a place where you're forced to be humble. Some of you are in a place you don't want to be. You you just don't want to be. I mean, there's stuff going on all around you. Your job situation. Relationships. You don't want to be where you are. It's never a bad thing to be in a place where you're called to be, even forced to be, humble. Just imagine. God opposes the proud he opposes the proud now let let's imagine that I said you know I got to get out of here and I'm going right there please clear a path I'm going out that door right over there but the elders had assigned Ben Grumbach Steven Eisenberg Troy Nation and David Byrd to keep me from going out that door and, I, and if I were to say, gentlemen, step aside, I need to go out. And they said, no. And I'd say, I'm going out that door. And they would say, I resist you. Let's throw in John Bart. for the, let's throw John Bart in there. So they're over there. What are the chances I'm getting out that door? Not very high. If they oppose me, I'm not going out that door. And in fact... I'm likely to be hurt and injured if I have a flash of stupidity, which is entirely possible in that kind of a match, right? The next time you're tempted to pride, imagine God opposing you. Humility is not weakness. It's a recognition that any possessions, abilities, relationships, or authority that we or do not enjoy, as the case may be, come from God. You'll recall from our study in 1 Corinthians how in chapter 4, verse 7, Paul asked his friends, for who makes you different from anyone else?" What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as those who do not? Paul was especially digging the elite of the church in Corinth who were born into Roman citizenship. They maybe... Were just appointed high positions of influence and business was good for them because business is always good for them. What do you have, the Lord said, that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you did not? These are good questions for all of us. A second truth from our text as long as you draw breath, until Jesus returns, it is not too late to repent. You've you you know people that have been prayed for for decades, and they never turn to the Lord until near the very end of their lives. And they turn to the Lord. In some some ways that makes some people are like, man. How fair is that? I mean, that's not fair. You, you know the parable about Jesus and the Jesus told about the the the, the uh, owner of the field came out or owner of the farm came out. He hired some this time, this time, this time, this time, and he gave them all the same amount. And the ones in the beginning are saying, "How is that fair?" And he's like, "Really? We're going to talk about that. You're, you're upset with me because I'm generous. I did. We bargain. We." We agreed to this price, right? So you may feel like that. <laughs> or you may say, thank you, Lord. My dad, all these years I prayed for him. I'm fairly confident in these last two weeks of his life, he came to Christ. And you, can, you just know, don't you? When Jesus has touched your life, time and again, I tried to straighten up my life when I was a teenager. Then when I got saved, after getting an indirect message through Jim Aycock, that's how I came to Christ, I knew something was different. I was going to hold off saying it, but I couldn't. I mean, I just couldn't. I had to tell everybody. God is gracious. You might be here this morning thinking, you don't know what I've done. You don't, I'm too bad. For God to say, <laughs> yeah. until you draw your last breath, it is not too late to turn your life over to Jesus. Don't wait one day longer this day. Surrender your life to Jesus, which is the focus of our last point. Repentance is only complete when you turn to Jesus and put your trust in Him alone. We don't know if Nebuchadnezzar stopped short or not. We know this. A lot of people stop short in this life. I believe in God. I believe God is doing good things for me, and I'm grateful to him. In Acts 4, we read about uh, Peter and John standing before the Sanhedrin, which was the governing <clears throat> board. It's a Jewish men all on this board, 70 of them. They, they governed the affairs of, of the people of, of Jerusalem and Judah. And This was the very same board that had just months earlier manipulated Roman law and Roman rulers to have Jesus crucified. Peter, who ran away on that night that Jesus was arrested, now stands boldly before them and says from Acts 4, Know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this healed man who's standing before you. There was a man that Jesus had healed, a lame, for all those years. I mean, that Peter had, had healed in the name of Jesus. And he said, know that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone which you builders rejected, it's by his name, and Jesus is the stone which you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So in this last lesson from Daniel, we don't know if Nebuchadnezzar stopped short of acknowledging Yahweh is the one true God. But we know this. Do not make the mistake of stopping short, of acknowledging that salvation is in Jesus alone. And it will disrupt your life, I can assure you. You've been getting along in the neighborhood and at work. But when Jesus comes into your life, it very well may disrupt your life. Because when we trust Him, we follow Him. We are called to walk with Him, but that's okay. Jesus, who always has been, always will be God, is the only one in whom we find salvation. In your humility, proudly take your stand with and for Jesus. He always stands for you. He is, in fact, the fourth man in the fire. He will always find you. Make sure that you're never far from Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the consistency... Of your word, we thank you that you have made a way for us to stand before you whole, righteous. Not because of our own good works, but because of Jesus' good works and his payment (laughs) that our sins deserved. So Lord, uh, may Jesus be exalted in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, and may we trust you, Lord, when life makes no sense at all, when nations rise and fall, when attacks are made and life falls to pieces at all times. We can trust you. May we know at least as much as this pagan king Nebuchadnezzar knew. May our hearts be fully devoted to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please stand. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.